Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast. Mitch Michaels here, as always, as we're into late October now with the tennis season winding down. And this week's show, we're pleased to be joined by a a woman that's no stranger to the tennis world as both both a player and a broadcaster. She's worked for many media publications, finally long overdue, now Tennis Channel. Uh, Won 133 titles in her playing career. 21 Grand Slam doubles champions championships, a gold medal, number three in the world at singles, and still is the youngest U.S. Open finalist ever. Welcome to Tennis Channel Inside In, Pam Shriver. Mitch, thanks for having me, and uh, it's been an amazing part of my summer and now fall to uh, be a part of the Tennis Channel team. I know, and I wanted to start there. I mean, there's two ways we could do it. We could just go over all those doubles titles, and that would probably take 30 minutes itself, but the uh, the tennis channel side of things. I know you've been here for for a minute now, and uh, I, I wanted to just talk a little bit about that. I think I saw you on the Hall of Fame broadcast at Newport. It was like the first time I had seen you, and you mentioned I think you even posted on social media how convenient it is. First, like you can just leave your house and call tennis now. But being a part here and being able to call these matches, the day to day, the some of the smaller tournaments that the real tennis junkies pay attention to. What's that experience been like? Well, this is my first really big week. I day. I made my first call Eastbourne week for two days back to back. That's such mm-hmm. an important week, the week before Wimbledon. Yeah. I actually called two days uh, right before I was leaving to go over there to join ESPN's team. And then I did that Hall of Fame day. Um, and I did a couple of days right before Indian Wells. So this is like my first big week of covering multiple rounds uh, from this amazing facility. You call it Expo, right? Expo. It's <laughs> It's terrific. And the yeah. monitors, I mean, I've just come out of the room calling about five and five straight hours and the size of the monitors. And, um, you know, you, I actually feel like I'm actually there at the match. I mean, it's a little yeah. tricky sometimes when you bounce back and forth. And like this week, we're going Antwerp a lot. Antwerp, Moscow, Moscow, Antwerp, occasionally Tenerife. Yeah. It's like our tennis red zone. You got to have your head on a swivel and you don't know what's going on. And yeah. yeah. And then being able to keep straight um, what match you saw from what city. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's so much fun. I've had a great time. This is also the part of the year where you're starting to see players really carve out their names professionally. We're going to get to some of that in a little bit. I, I did want to mention Tennis Channel family keeps growing. We have so many more and more analysts here. It's been great. The content we're putting out. Your legendary uh, partner had a big birthday recently, so I want to give her due, Martina, turning 65. You guys played so much doubles together and so many, you know, big wins, and, and you know, on your resume, you're, you're synonymous with each other. I'm just curious what the process was like, how you guys, in a sense, found each other as partners and how that works at the professional level and when you might have known that, okay, we've got something special here. Well... Um, I think we found each other because we were opponents in both singles and doubles uh, early in my career. So 
Well, Martina just turned 65. I, my next birthday, July 4th, um, I turned six zero. So mm. she's five and a half years older, had been on the tour for a few years. I think it was really important in uh, U.S. Open final and doubles in 1980. So this is September 1980. I was playing with Betty Stova, who's from the Netherlands, had gotten to the Wimbledon final and singles, doubles, and mixed in 77, the year uh, Virginia Wade won it. And we lost in the finals, but it was a really close final. We lost to Martina and Billie Jean. And I always felt that the way I played in that final, because Betty was pretty much done. I mean, she was it was her last tournament. Betty was could still play okay, but look, you retire for a reason. Right. And I played really well in that match. And about a month later, Martina called me. Now, mind you, I'd also beaten her in singles two years prior. Yeah. My debut at the U.S. Open mm-hmm. in 1978. And I think Martina knew early on that for a young player, I had all the tools you needed to play really well in doubles. I mean, I kind of played my singles, served and volleyed, chipped yeah. and charged. I played my singles the way you played doubles back in the day. So right. it was a pretty, when I think about it now, it was a natural thing for her to call me and ask me. But then, as you said, Mitch, it's another thing for it to have gone as well as it did for almost a decade. It was almost like you kind of, put out like an audition tape and he proved her, whoa, this could be something. And she had that eye for talent. And it is fascinating. You mentioned it. You were really good serving Valley. You guys were both just so well at the net. There's a lot of talk about how it has to be contrast and, and not just tennis, but in other sports, like you need to have a balance. But in your case, it was a lot of the same strengths and you were just the best at it in the world. Well, that's right. Our games, we played similar, but here were the contrasts. She's a lefty, I'm a righty, which we know from the Bryan twins, also <laughs> a recent addition to the yeah. Tennis Channel family, that their lefty-righty combo, you think about Woodbridge and Woodford lefty-righty, Newcomb and Roach lefty-righty, McEnroe and Fleming lefty-righty. Mm. So we had that going for us. Um, and then also our personalities, while they meshed really well, our senses of humor, we, we understood... Um, she's a little bit more of an introvert. I'm much more of an extrovert. Whatever. There were enough contrasts that um, we just we hit it off and we managed to keep it going for as uh, for eight. Really, we had an eight and a half year run that was pretty sensational, and then we got together a little bit more in the early '90s. Well, it was a heck of a run, uh, understatement of the year. But uh, wanted to bring that up as well. Let's get to the current topical tennis stuff. Indian Wells, the fall classic edition in the books. And uh, as unpredictable as you can get, I don't think anybody definitely didn't have the men's final, but the women's final uh, itself. You were there. You covered it. You saw the tennis unfold post-U.S. Open. Also, the court conditions were a big hot-button topic. What was your analysis of how the courts played and the types of players that made deep runs at this tournament? Well, I think it really illustrated so soon after the U.S. Open how different an outdoor hard court can be. Because the U.S. Open, much more medium fast and a lower bounce. Um, and Indian Wells, because of the lighter air, I think through the years they really thought that they, could, they would have better tennis if the balls were a little bit heavier and the court was a little grittier. So we saw that play out um, in the women's game when you have someone like Paula Badoza who's you know, really had a great year, and she's done well on more than just clay, but she is more comfortable, say, on a clay court, and I think the higher balance of Indian Wells um, really helped her. I love the fact that Azarenka once again shows her resiliency after having a disappointing start of the year, not dealing with the bubble and the whole COVID situation in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but, but she's so tough on a hard court. She really is. And Vika losing in that final to Bedosa, I want to give her credit. She didn't have a great year by her standards, especially considering last year what it was Cincinnati and New York, I guess, champion with the Osaka walkover. And then giving her three tough sets in the final. This is someone that's known major success. So for her to dig in, doesn't doesn't need the money we know, doesn't need the ranking points, but fought hard within that match too, the second set and, and really proving herself. But it was Paula Bedosa that gets the breakthrough she was looking for. The start of her year was 21 days in hard lockdown, catching COVID in Melbourne. And to kind of put the bow on a tumultuous year, you have to feel good for a player like that that's still pretty young at 23 and, and is able to have this breakthrough. Well, if there's one thing that this pandemic is teaching players of all age is that you have to be willing to deal with different situations, do things differently, and be able to not just bounce back on the tennis court, but bounce back from situations that are so far out of your yeah. control. I mean, different countries' protocols, whether or not someone in your in your close contact comes down with COVID, dealing with just the, the stress of taking the COVID tests every other day and, yeah. and kind of <laughs> wondering, please come up, <laughs> come up negative again. <laughs> I mean, it's really incredible. Yeah. And you think that players have been doing this now for about 14 months since the restart. Yeah, and they're creatures of habit. And you mentioned like you being a former player, you have your routine, you have things. Now you have to add another level of stress, like take this COVID test and hope that it doesn't flag you up and then you can't play. Yeah. Um, Bedosa's game herself, I mean, I, you mentioned her, like, she has some real pop from the baseline, was really playing aggressive on both sides in the tie breaks. I mean, she won the big points she needed to and showed a lot of fight as rank is served for the match, 5-4. Bedosa's able to dig deep. This was, you know, this event itself, it's been kind of a star-making event on the women's side. Osaka and Drescu, before they were major champions. Do you think that could be the case with her? Listen, I think right now in women's tennis, given what we've seen in the last few years, especially two of the last three majors played, <laughs> I think almost the whole world <laughs> yeah. in, of women's tennis thinks they have a chance. I mean, yeah. when you have a qualifier in Radicano come out of <laughs> qualifying. It's still like we're never going to see that again, probably. Like it's it, Well, we might not, but it is something we haven't seen that's pretty insane. Oh, like. yeah. Listen, when when something's never been done before, <laughs> it's pretty exceptional. Yeah. And obviously, when I, when I think about that, I go back to the U.S. Open and think about what, what Djokovic was trying to do by doing something that hadn't happened on the men's side since 1969. So there's a reason these things either <laughs> yeah. don't happen or don't happen but once every few decades. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I, I saw a stat today that and because I looked, of all the premier events, there's, you know, premier events in the majors. Only Barty won two, multiple. She won Cincinnati and uh, Miami. Nobody else won multiple events. And something that we're just not used to on, you know, the Serena era. Sharapova had her run. Even before that, you can go to Venus, Hingis, and all the way back. But, you know, it's a deep field. And I think it's going to make it harder for, you know, Raducanu and, and Leo Fernandez are doing well. But it's hard to break into that mix of, getting into the club, but once you're there, it's like the top 20, 30 in each tournament feel like they could win it. Yeah, they do feel like they can win it, but, you know, the recent pattern has been that if you do make it, either either to a final or win it, there's no guarantee that you're going to follow it up with success. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you, you have true. had Barty win a couple of majors in the last few years. You had Halep, when she finally broke through, she won a second one fairly quickly. Right. Kerber is one three, Muguruza two. 
But literally, besides, obviously, we're not talking about Serena and Venus right now because they've won seven and 23, respectively. But there's so many one-time major winners. Yeah, no one talks about the finalist side, too. That could be all you get. Yeah, like Madison Keys. Um, you get some, you know, Sarah Ronnie a few years ago losing yeah. to Sharapova in the finals of the French. You had some really unusual results, and that came off all the heels of a, like the era that I played in, literally... <laughs> In the, I think yeah. I played like eight or nine semifinals of majors. I only won one. I beat Martina to get mm-hmm. to that final. Every time I got to a semi, I played a future Hall of Famer. <laughs> yeah, I either played Groff, <laughs> Everett, Navratilova, Manlikova. Yeah, wow. It's, it is crazy. And that's the flip side of that is it's harder for some of these older players, Serena being the most notable example, to still be in the mix because the game is deeper than it's ever been. I don't think that had been the case in, you know, even five, ten years ago, that there's just such a deep young talent pool that's hungry, and, you know, you, you're going to have to continually win tough matches to win these big tournaments. You know, and you look at reasons why, and you think, well, women's tennis, women's sports is becoming more accepted mm-hmm. in more parts of the world. I mean, look, we have Ans Jabir now from Tunisia. Top ten, crazy. Yeah. First Arab female ever to, Arab female to win a WTA tour event. There's parts of the world that are represented towards the top of women's tennis that back when I played, they didn't even compete on the tour. Yeah, I think fitness level too, the, uh, how in shape these players are is just at a high level across the board. I know Martina was like revolutionary for being into fitness. And now you look and Bedos is very fit. All these players are. Fascinating to see for sure. But I think Indian Wells, and this just shows you at different levels of their careers how much this final meant to these two players and how much they bought in. I love the sportsmanship afterwards oh, too. Um, you know, for Vika, the maturity she showed, I mean, she's been through a lot in her life, right? She's mm-hmm. been through a tough custody battle with her son, Leo. She's had a lot of injuries, a lot of setbacks. And with that, you develop gratitude and appreciation. So the fact that she was able to lose such a tough match, a third set tie break after, after what you mentioned, she served for it. Still embrace Bedosa in her biggest moment. And I thought their speeches afterwards were both terrific as well. Bedosa paying credit to Vika, who, you know, you mentioned her two hard court majors, both Australian Opens. She's been to three U.S. Open finals. I think she's really, really well respected in the locker room for her work ethic and just the fact that she's been so resilient well before the pandemic. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Pam Shriver here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Uh, as we now turn our attention to the men's final, I know nobody had this one. Cam Nori over Nicholas Bajasvili in three sets. And this was, I think, a, a microcosm of Nori's career, right? Like he just played steady the whole way through. He, to use a metaphor from another sport, other sports, like he weathered the storm. Bajasvili was a streaky shooter, a big hitter that came out blazing at the end, middle of that first set in the early second. Nori stayed consistent, doesn't really give you much of anything, and deserved to win this match by how he played in the big points and really, really having the career year that he thought and he predicted at the beginning of this year 
Props to Cam Norrie, a college tennis player that's seeing his best breakthrough at 26. Yeah, TCU has a lot to be proud of. And, you know, for me, Cam Norrie this year, it was interesting. I went into Wimbledon, and I I do a couple of pools where I select. uh, It's one with actually the tennis podcast, the Mm -hmm. crew in uh, London that puts out that great podcast. So they have this pool, and I actually picked Norrie to come through and Federer's section to the semis. Mm. He ended up losing to Federer. But I was just like five, six months ahead of myself. <laughs> he was in that match. And <laughs> he I, was. one of the things I brought up was, I mean, he had the San Diego final where he, he loses to Casper Rudy, who's had a great year. But he had been getting closer to this moment. It didn't come out of the woodwork. He also had some tough draws in majors. I believe he fell into Rafa like a few times. And yep. Federer on, at Wimbledon where you're going to be going up against everything. I, this, was, this was brewing. This isn't something where, I mean, this guy worked – his tail off to get to this point. He put in the time, and it's nice to see him rewarded. And guess what? His draws are going to start getting a lot <laughs> That's better. That's part of it, too. <laughs> yeah. That's part of it, too. Bez's Vili is, like, one of the streakiest play- and I and I mean this pu- glowingly in a lot of regards. Like, he has that game. He has that forehand in particular where it wasn't surprising that he's able to run off some matches. Now, the draw did open up for him and for Nori a little bit, too, but – I think this tournament, more than anything, you know, you're battling the elements. You're battling just who has that extra motivation in October, where we're not used to seeing this tournament. In October, mm-hmm. a year and a half into a global pandemic, no, nobody's been in this situation before. Mm-hmm. Whether you're like me, a single mom, parent of three teenagers, trying to help them yeah. through a very difficult time. Whether you're a professional tennis player, trying to play an international sport, where every single time you play a tournament, there seems to be a different set of rules, yeah. protocols, and you just have to roll with the punches. And obviously, this tournament, BNP Paribas, had been two and a half years. It, it really marked for tennis. It was the it was the beginning of the pandemic. That Sunday night, when all of us involved in the game got that text or that social media mm-hmm. post, so we saw oh, Indian Wells has been canceled, and it took over two and a half years for it to play again. Different time of year, obviously without some of the biggest names of the game, some of whom are injured, some of whom just decided, like Djokovic, that he needed to pause after the U.S. Open. It had a different feel, but it was still amazing to be back and to think that in just five months, kind of like the way the French Open happened last year and then again quickly in May. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to have this again. Nori and Bedosa (laughs) are going to only be able to hold their title for so long. It's unfortunate they have to get their victory parades in really quickly. Uh, and I also want to mention, too, Nori falls into a camp of players. I don't think it's necessarily fair, but you can throw a guy like Jensen Brooksby in there and, and maybe Casper Rude. They're not the most, I guess, exciting, some would say, but the way they play is just so efficient. Like, they, I, I don't think boring is fair. Casper Rude's been accused of this before, but, you know, they get results by the way they play, and they do find a way to just grind you down in the way in their style of play. So I think, you know, it's exciting. Everybody would love to see winners galore, but there's a method to, to these guys' madness. Well, to me, no matter <laughs> if it's whoever it is that's winning, it's yeah. never that boring. There's always mm-hmm. something as a commentator that you can point out mm-hmm. that makes that particular win a little bit unique and distinctive from the others. And I always, I just find it fascinating to look at the patterns of matches. Yeah. And that's one of my appreciations for getting to work so many matches for the tennis channel, especially matches on the men's side, where I haven't always had that opportunity with other networks. It's great to see players that I haven't called matches and to see how they go about 
winning their right. tennis. Well, on that same grounds, uh, Jensen Brooksby, who has been an unconventional rise by how he plays, but also the results he's yielding so fast. Today, he lost like two games. It was like he was out of there in an hour. But he beat Opelka. He's racking up wins. I think he's into the top 60. I think he's up to like 40, 43 in the live race. So no points to defend. He's starting to really make a name for himself. Took that set off of Djokovic. When you watch him play as someone that's been in the game so long, what do you see that makes him so successful? A combination. Uh, To me, he looks like someone who's a hard worker, who really values competing for every point. He doesn't give a lot away. He seems mature beyond his years on the court. Um, I love his competitiveness, stubbornness, and just the fact that he wins matches like he did against, uh, I'm going to try and say the name, Van de Zanschlup. I'm glad you did, because I wasn't <laughs> going to say it. But Botic yeah, <laughs> Van de Zanschlup. Um, to lose only two games is someone who just got the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open like six weeks ago. And the other day, I called Bondesanschlup's match, and he played great. So to lose only two games in men's tennis. So I think Brooksby is somebody that there's reasons, given his work ethic and just how he grinds out point after point, and he hates to lose one point. Yeah. He acts like he, I mean, he, in his mind, thinks he should beat everyone. Rafa yeah. Djokovic, Federer does not matter. Think about how he I started the, the match against Djokovic at the Open. Didn't he win the first set 6-1? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, and that was, I mean, that was his body starting to break down. All the matches on court, you're going against the most fit guy that's probably ever play, played the sport. What do you think his ceiling could be? I know the serve's been talked about, how he needs to work on it, which is obvious, but, I mean, this is, what, top 20, top 10? Yeah. You know, a lot depends on um, whether his game, once the data people start <laughs> collecting enough data and... Yeah get spit out what his patterns are, what he doesn't like. Right now, people are a little bit on the back of their heels. They haven't quite figured it out yet. Um, But we'll see. I mean, I do think the serve is a natural sort of low-hanging fruit that needs to be worked on, and I'm sure he's tried. It just doesn't, for the considering the rest of his game, he's a little unconventional, actually. I think a little bit about other unconventional shots in tennis, like McEnroe's volleys or some other unconventional shots. But he's, he's different. But sometimes being different is a good thing. Oh, it's, I mean, you mentioned on Shabor Ash Barty on the women's game, like the uniqueness and, and a different style could could do wonders for you. Uh, we do have to talk about uh, the match of the week so far. And, and I hate to project, but we're not going to top it <laughs> already. Yeah. There's a couple of days left of tennis this week. But Murray TFO, three sets, three tie breaks, three hours and 45 minutes, 10-8 in the third, Murray beats TFO. Long embrace, long sit down, deservedly so after. That's that's tennis at its pinnacle. Two guys just battling blow for blow, and it comes down to a couple points at the end. It was just phenomenal to see. I, I left here yesterday at, when that match was played, and I thought of all the matches, I've been, I, I'm trying to think when I first worked for, a tennis match was in 1981 as a commentator. So mm. that goes back a long wow. way. So early I'm, in the playing days. I was like, I was yeah. a teenager wow. when I was asked. They didn't have female commentators. But anyway, thinking, I thought yesterday on my drive home, when have I, when have I commentated a match quite like that? I really hadn't. It really stood out. Not just because it was seven six six seven seven six, but there was like no drama during the match. Both guys, I mean, Francis did, have a little problem with his back, but it was really right. quick injury timeout. He needed something adjusted. 
Murray's just Murray's just such a great competitor. Yeah. His story of coming back with a piece of metal in his hip and just his love of the game. I like that the generational differences. Um, Francis just still early to mid twenties. Mm-hmm. It was just that combination of different things and the score that made it a match that even though it's not a major, I'll probably remember that match more than many matches I've called at majors. Yeah, it, you mentioned no drama, like no drama in the sense that there were no injuries, there was nothing funky that drama happened. Drama in the score. And that, yeah, drama in the score. This was just competitive. They No ill will, no bad blood, just two guys that wanted to win at all costs. And, you know, unfortunately, somebody has to lose. You watch Francis Tiafo and you see that he's getting closer. It's like he's on the cusp of finally getting to that breakthrough. His fitness is getting up there. Uh, just a lot to like about how he plays. I just thought Andy Murray wins this match, like these matches his whole career. It's just yep. the heart of a champion, that cliche phrase, but he finds a way to do it. And to do it at this point when he's set, his Hall of Fame legacy is intact, he literally couldn't walk through an airport metal detector without setting it off because of his hip. But he's still out there battling and grinding. And, you know, the love of the game is, as you eloquently put it, like that's all this is about. Well, I think about Murray this year, uh, couple times he goes on social media and he'll tweet out can anyone give me some advice on how to what how i should get more pop on my racket like should i string my strings the cross strings gut or the the mains uh poly he was asking all these questions of like tennis fandom out there or other pros and you know like darren cahill would chime in one of the great coaches ever and yeah he's just funny i mean and He's, his humor is dry. His competitiveness is relentless. Oh, yeah. um, I, I just and, and on the women's side of the game, I can just tell you, there's nobody more respected because of the way yeah. he stood up mm-hmm. to and yeah. uh, in a really upstanding way um, to support women's tennis. Yeah, I mean, and I, th- I love the fact that at Indian Wells, he lost that match to Zverev. It was three sets, it was, or two long sets, I should say. He's like, I'm not settled. I'm not satisfied. I didn't play well. Like his yeah. standards still at this point. Are so high, lots to like about him. Unless you know, unless you're his spouse, and you know he loses his wedding <laughs> ring. Right. Still going to be a long road to recovery there, probably longer than the injury. Um, but no, it's been great, and, and just kind of putting a bow on this week's tennis. What else have you enjoyed seeing, and what's caught your eye about the various tournaments taking place uh, around the world? Well, you know, it's unusual. We haven't shown much from Tenerife yet, uh, which is a small outdoor tournament. Uh, in Spain that the women are playing but so it's mostly bouncing between Moscow and Antwerp and I've really enjoyed pointing out to people watching the differences that you can hear and see you know all calling from a monitor in uh in Santa Monica but you know whether it's the ceiling height of Moscow being a lot higher and knowing that if you send up a high defensive lob in Antwerp you might be in trouble it's going to hit the hit the ceiling but it's a faster court in Antwerp I'm um, seeing the way the Russians, so many Russians playing the Kremlin Cup, how they put mm-hmm. up with the pressure. Hatchinoff had to come from a set down. Pavlyovchenkova really struggled to um, close it out. So as far as what I'm enjoying the most, um, I would say just overall the fight of the players this deep into the pandemic, a situation they never would have imagined they would have seen themselves in. And I feel like they have a lot of gratitude. Yeah. These tournaments have figured out how to still happen and that both tours 
have figured out with some subsidies going on and with some changes, Guadalajara, the WTA yeah. tour final is in Guadalajara, not in China. Been a lot of problem solving going on, Mitch. Yeah, they had to adapt. They, they like a lot of people, like a lot of entities, had to adapt. And the fact that they appreciate the fans so much. I mean, you hear players say it like they just didn't realize how important they were and how vital they were to the match and how much the hometown crowd in a lot of ways can make a difference. I I just think back to that Shelby Rogers Ash Barty match, oh. which was incredible. I think, were you on the call for I that? I was courtside. You, you were courtside for that one. I love Shelby Rogers. I'm so glad she had her moment. I will say, though, does she accomplish that without the crowd cheering for her like that? I don't know. You know, it's interesting because the year before, I was thinking, would Jen Brady get the semifinals of the U.S. Open that was played before nobody? Would she get to that semifinal mm. with the pressure of the crowd? So you could kind of ask the question both ways. For sure. The year before, Shelby had fought off all those match points to beat Kvitova. I think it was on, played it was. on Armstrong. Yeah, it was a fourth-round match yeah. on Armstrong. Yeah. So, I mean, Shelby the last two yeah. years, both with no fans and with <laughs> yeah. fans. She'd proved it both ways. But that, that was one of my favorite post-match interviews uh, when I said to the first question I said to Shelby, can you describe what we just watched? And she just started to laugh. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pam Shriver on Tennis Channel Inside, and that's uh, that's that really is a great story. Talking about Shelby getting her moment in the crowd and just having them back and vivacious. Uh, last things I wanted to go over that race to Guadalajara is heating up. Pedosa's in the mix. We don't know. I mean, we have an idea of who's not going to play, but the race is really heating up, and I think this is going to be another indicator with with new players, new blood finally reaching their first WTA finals. Well, and I think all of us remember the first time you qualify as uh, for the Tour Championships. When I played, it was in Madison Square Garden, mm. which made it all the more <laughs> yeah. special that it was played in arguably the most famous indoor arena in the world. Um, again, the players, so grateful after missing the Tour Championships last year, it was canceled that they can actually go to Guadalajara and that Guadalajara has figured out how to host one of the great, uh, women's events of the year. I mean, really a standalone, it's it's number one, the tour championships. And also there's going to be a lot of great doubles that's going to be played. So looking forward to it. And any one of the eight, let's face it, if Radicano can come out of the qualifying and win the Open, then any one of the eight can win the tour championships. It's true. It, it really is. Anj Jabor is at nine right now. Osaka is at 10. But if Barty doesn't play, Jabor would, would be the one up there. And, you know, you still have Svitolina kicking around. Pagula, who... Congratulations to her. She's getting married this week, I think, yeah. this weekend. Couple days. Maybe it's even uh, as we're <laughs> recording this. Yeah, in two days, I two think. Two days. Wow. Well, congratulations to her. Uh, and then Radha Kanyu, I, I the closing thought I wanted to ask you, her schedule's been under scrutiny with what, you know, deciding not to play uh, this week's ten tennis. What are your thoughts on a young player going through the new added pressures of being a major champion, lost first round at Indian Wells, changing her team up, trying to manage that schedule as she adjusts to the new reality of being a superstar. And it is a new reality. <laughs> yeah. I mean, coming from 
England. <laughs> yeah. One of the four uh, countries that host a Grand Slam. There's always more attention on tennis, uh, I'd say, in France, Australia, England, and the U.S. Um, you know, it's hard to say. I, I can relate a little bit because at 16 and two months, I got the finals of my second major. I lost to Chris Everett, but it was during the boom years. It was before social media, but my life totally changed. And I didn't come out of qualifying. I was actually seated 16, but it was such an unlikely run. And now she's got to figure out how to juggle all of this stuff with her team, obviously, the, all the uh, endorsements and the partnerships that she's having with some high-quality, whether it's fashion like Dior, <laughs> Tiffany. Yeah. There's a lot going on. So for someone, she seems so mature, but when you think about it, just four or five months ago, she struggled at Wimbledon to get back. She couldn't get back out on the court due to feeling a lot of pressure in a round of 16 match played at prime time on British TV. So I just still say, let's try and take pressure off. Let's realize it's a hard road to live with that kind of expectation. Indian Wells, you know, who knows, such a different surface from the open. But I, th- I could see Raducanu doing anything from, from hardly anything at all to winning another major in the next 12 months and anything in between. I just have no idea. No, it's, uh, it's unpredictable. we got to take our time. I think it's good to be cautious here, uh, but the game is there. Uh, well, Pam Shriver, this was fun. I've been a fan of yours for a long time. I know you mentioned an appreciation for podcasts. Uh, an unofficial Pam cast. I don't think we're going to – we might go official with the branding there. But thanks for joining Tennis Channel Insight, and this was a pleasure. All right, let me have a second serve again sometime. <laughs> we will. We'll, 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 we'll do our best. That was Pam Shriver on Tennis Channel Inside In. A reminder that you can catch every episode on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Go to tennis.com slash podcast for this show and all the others on our tremendous network. For Pam Shriver, I'm Mitch Michaels. We'll be back next week with more from Tennis Channel Inside In. Thank you for listening.